Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the founder of our religion, its head, its cornerstone, our Lord and Savior, is about to go deeper in explaining truth to Nicodemus, a master of Israel and a ruler of the Jews. I read to you two verses, verses 14 and 15 of John 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. amen and amen. Jesus has introduced the Son of Man to Nicodemus in verse 13 when he said that no man had ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. One of the titles of our Lord Jesus Christ was Son of Man, and that is not exclusively referring to his humanity because sometimes the title of Son of Man is used of him referring to his deity, as in verse 13, because it was the Son of Man that was still in heaven. Sometimes the Son of God refers to his humanity. So don't think that when you read Son of God, it's always referring to his deity. That is not true. Or that Son of Man is always referring to his humanity because the titles are used interchangeably because he was a dual being. He was a complex man. He had a divine nature and a human nature under one name, Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Very quickly, as we come to the Lord's table, let's read what Jesus explained briefly to Nicodemus about his purpose in this world, totally contrary to everything Nicodemus had ever learned about the Messiah. Remember, to a Jew, the Messiah was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, throw off Rome, and it would only include Jews, and their salvation was dependent on keeping Moses' law. Think about those four things and how quickly they're undone right here by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual kingdom that he's been preaching, not a civil kingdom. It's going to extend to whosoever will, called the world in verse 16. Remember, a distinction has already been made. In John 1.10, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. There's a distinction right there between the world representing a larger group of people, though, of course, only the elect, but the ministry of Jesus Christ was to gather together in one, Jews and Gentiles. And here it's only hinted at briefly with that word, whosoever. Whoever is what whosoever means. It's whoever, any man, those persons that believe on Jesus. God sent Jesus to secure their everlasting life and to keep them from perishing. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... I have explained to you before that when we get little combinations of adverbs like as and so, there is a comparison being made that we want to embrace. And in verse 14, you have as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
Even so, so there is a very close similarity between these two events. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 21 and read about Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. And we want to think about these words lifted up because they're used twice in this 14th verse that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As and so means in this manner, in the prescribed or defined way. And is there a song that we like to sing that has the words lifted up in it? Yes. The man behind you should have known that, brother. But I'm thankful that you did and helped him out. Lifted up was he to die. We're going to sing it in a few minutes. Lifted up was he to die. Numbers chapter 21. The Lord Jesus Christ makes this comparison. Isn't that something that Moses would just come up with this idea of putting up a serpent in the wilderness on a pole? You know better than that, don't you? There were obscure indications of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ all through the Old Testament that were not known until they were explained to us with the spectacles of the New Testament. Numbers chapter 21, beginning at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hohor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. You can be cast down, but don't get destroyed. And the people spake against God. That's being destroyed. We do not blame God when we're discouraged. The people was much discouraged because of the way that they took in verse 4, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Free bread from heaven every morning to go out and pick up from the bread man. I mean the God of heaven that was delivering bread every day to them, manna that tasted like honeygram cereal. Well, close enough. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. What a good pastor. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. The only other reference to this event, other than the Lord Jesus Christ bringing it up in John 3, is in 2 Kings chapter 18, hundreds of years later, 800 years later, Hezekiah is having a revival, and he finds this stinking thing. 800 years later, it was a stinking thing. He finds this thing still being worshipped by the Israelites, and he destroys it. And he calls it Nehushtan. 
I had so much fun preaching that sermon to you on a Wednesday evening, I believe, years ago. Nehushtan! No, I wasn't sneezing. Nehushtan! A thing of brass. That's what the word means. It's a thing of brass. Destroy it. And there's a great, great lesson in that, and I do... Can I chase it for just one or two minutes? There is not residual value in taking God's ceremonies and events and relics to another time for another purpose, and religions have always done that. And we want to remember Nehushtan, Israel. They took the Ark of the Covenant into battle. What happened? They lost the battle, lost their priest, and lost the Ark of the Covenant. They adored and presumed on the temple that they could live any way they wanted to because God would always deliver them because of the temple. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. That's in Jeremiah 3, just that way. God had to bury Moses because he knew what they would do with Moses. They'd have been worshiping his body. They wore phylacteries with scripture but did not obey the Bible. They would have a box on their forehead with a parchment inside it with verses on it. Can you believe that? There is no residual value for things like that. You don't, it doesn't matter whether you have a Bible on your nightstand or not when you go to sleep at night. You need to have the Word of God in your head and in your heart. Paul mocked the worthless minor surgery of circumcision in Philippians chapter 3 by calling the Jews that had it the concision, which means the mutilated ones. The cut ones. Think about today. Catholics kiss the Bible but don't obey it. What would Jesus do bracelets is contrary to Jesus by even wearing one. There's a whole document on our website establishing that from the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. To go around and wear that, he wants you to do what he said, not tell people that you're doing what he said. Most of all, Sabbatarians, with their vegetarian nonsense... And, and worshiping on the, days, the day of the Jews, the seventh day of the week, instead of the first day of the week of Christians. They think there's residual value in that. There isn't. That was for another group of people at another time. This is such an important principle. Crosses and crucifixes, anointing with apostolic oil, the doctrine of election having special value, calling a church a sanctuary, foot-washing nonsense, flags, using Yahweh or dash O-D for God, like you're giving him reverence by not spelling out his name. Musical instruments. Nehushtan! To all these inventions. What about you today? Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible tells us. Family being greater than truth. That isn't true. Incidental contact with the world can't be avoided. Words like potluck or Sunday. Embrace them. We understand what they mean. Everyone understands what they mean, including God. Pagan money. You know what your money has on it? It has a truncated pyramid and the the all-seeing eye of Horus. So what? It works well, doesn't it? Go to QT and see what it'll get for you. Hezekiah's descendants later married a woman... Her name was Nehushta. I like that. That family was committed for a while to the worship of God. But in John chapter 3, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
God told Moses to create and elevate a brass serpent to save living Israelites who had repented. Let's get that clear. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant between God and Israel. Those God had chosen to die for their wickedness did die. Do you understand that? How many people of Israel died according to Numbers 21 that I just read to you? Much people died. They were already dead. Many died from the, fire, from the serpents. The brass serpent only helped the repentant living to stay alive, to lay hold of life. The serpent did no good for those God had judged and killed already. Looking was not a source of life, but a way to lay hold of life given a man. By it, Jesus taught death on a tree as the primary lesson he wanted here. And though I just gave you several other considerations to remember when you read John 3.14, that John 3.14 does not line up with salvation like everyone else thinks. The way that they would present Numbers 21 is that everyone was alive and then the, the serpent was put up before anyone died. But many people, much people, were already dead, and the serpent could do them no good, nor was the serpent intended to do them any good. It was only for those that had repented and asked the mediator for help. But the key comparison is in verse 14, and it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It is the lifting up. That is the lesson that we want to draw out of verse 14. The grammar of as to even so expressly states a strong similarity of two events, and the strong similarities are the being lifted up, because it was by his death on the cross that he accomplished the purpose of verse 15, which is stated with the word that whosoever. That that is introducing a clause describing the goal and purpose of what has been said in the previous verse. So there's three parts to this particular sentence. As we have an example by Moses and the serpent in the wilderness, so Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, would be lifted up on a pole, on a tree, on a cross, for the purpose and goal of guaranteeing the eternal life of all believers that none of them will perish. That is what the two verses are saying. There is no offer. There is no potentiality. There is no possibility. There is only certainty of Jesus Christ, like Moses' serpent, going up on a pole and being held between heaven and earth and guaranteeing the salvation of believers. Lifted up is primarily a phrase of the Bible that indicates the form of death of a person. I'm not going to take the time to run you back to the two dreams that a baker and a butler had with Joseph in prison, but for those of you that know your Bibles well, you know that uh, they were both going to be lifted up. One was going to be lifted up back into his job, and the other one was going to be lifted up by hanging and have his head taken from him. Look at uh, John chapter 8 and verse 28 and how John refers to this expression several times. Now Jesus has told us in 3.14 that he will be lifted up like Moses was lifted up. 
Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now in 828, we have these words. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. When they lifted Jesus Christ up, darkness covered the earth for three hours. There was an earthquake. The veil of the temple was rent. Serious events took place when Jesus was lifted up. So there he referred to it again under the same figure of speech of being lifted up. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We will reserve many things that could be said until next Lord's Day about some of these passages. Jesus said in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Whosoever, world, all men, will draw all men unto me. Who did Jesus draw to him? But God's elect. From where? From the whole world. He drew them, Jews and Gentiles, because unto him should the gathering of the people be. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Even Caiaphas knew in John chapter 11 and verse 52 that the Lord Jesus Christ would gather not just one nation, but from all the nations of the earth. John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. How far would he be lifted up from the earth? Oh, a couple of feet. This he said, oh, this is, watch the Bible explain things for us. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Remember last Lord's Day, I mentioned that prophets spoke in similitudes and used signs. Here's using signs. He signified the form of death that he would die by the few words lifted up from the earth. Now you might not quickly grasp that, but the Jews had a very different way of killing people. How did the Jews kill a man that was guilty of a crime like blasphemy? Stone him to death. He's not lifted up at all. He's crouched in a fetal position on the ground with his hands over his head trying to protect himself while the bowling balls break every bone in his body and he bleeds internally from being stoned to death. But we can't have a bone broken. We've got to have hands and feet pierced, don't we? And it's all fulfilled in the one way that our, the head of our religion knew in advance that was going to happen to him and mentioned it to Nicodemus in John 3.14. Verse 34 of John 12, the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. Those are the only words they wanted to hear out of the law. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Notice their rejection of the, of the words of Jesus Christ and of their Messiah dying because he thought he would they thought he would live forever. Look at John 18. You say, there's a lot of references to this being lifted up. Yes, there is. It's a wonderful little expression, and Nicodemus gets the first dose of it. John 18, 31. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, this is Pilate speaking to the Jews, about Jesus Christ. 
Take ye him and judge him according to your law. What would that have meant? Stoning. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Meaning Roman law. <laughs> These hypocrites. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. What did he speak, signifying what death he should die? Thankfully, John 12 told us, he signified what death he should die by the words being lifted up. And being lifted up is being put on a pole like the brass serpent was put in a pole because Jesus died in a tree on a cross that had a cross member, but he was hung up like the brass serpent was hung up and he was seen by all. The Messiah that they expected to rescue Israel, establish an earthly civil kingdom, throw off Rome for the benefit of the Jews only, was going to die on a cross. And this is brand new news to Nicodemus. You can tell as these passages I just read, it was brand new news to all of them. Because they had just expected him to arrive like David and to lead them to glory. He did lead us to glory. But it was Jews and Gentiles, and it was a whole lot gl more glorious than some sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean. Amen. It's the glory of heaven. And he's leading us there by gathering together Jews and Gentiles by his life-giving voice, by his death on the cross, and he will not lose a single one of them, and not one shall perish. Amen. To think that we need to rescue the perishing? That's an absurd blasphemy against the Son of God. Look at John chapter 6. There's several verses here, but let me read John 6, 38. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That is eternal life. That is not perishing. He will not lose a single one, and the group is that group of God's elect that God gave to Jesus Christ to die for. Flip over to John chapter 10. John 10, verse 28. I give unto them eternal life. Who is them? The sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Remember John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus being put up on a tree like the brass serpent was put up on a pole was to guarantee, secure forever, the eternal life of God's elect and that a single one of them would perish. I give unto them eternal life. He had just told the Jews in verse 26, ye are not of my sheep. Look at verse 26. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. It is common in the world to teach that if you will believe on Jesus, you can become one of his sheep. That is not the doctrine of the Bible. The doctrine of the Bible is you believe because you are one of his sheep. Because unless you were ordained to eternal life, you will not believe. Unless you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, you will not believe. Ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Powerful language. And I give unto them in verse 28 eternal life and they shall never perish. Do you see these words? Eternal life and perish are the same words that we have in verse 15 of John 3. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, my Father which gave them me. 
So where did this group of people come from? God chose them and gave them to Jesus Christ before the world began. Because that's what Ephesians 1, 2 P- Timothy chapter 1, Revelation 17, 8. Where do you want to go? 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us when it took place. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. Look at John chapter 17. When Jesus prays just before his death to his Father in heaven. John 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. All flesh. The world. All men. Who gave Jesus Christ Authority and power over all flesh. God the Father did. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And that is exactly what he did. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The only ones that know God the only ones that see the kingdom of God, the only ones that enter the kingdom of God are those that were given eternal life by the Lord Jesus Christ or they would not see, they would not know, and they would not enter. The Bible teaches all these evidences of those that God gave to Jesus and he saved without the loss of one. There is no happen chance in this event. There is no ruination of the death of Jesus Christ by most of those that he died for ending up in hell? Would you please explain that wicked double jeopardy to me? That Jesus paid for the sins of all men by dying on the cross, and yet the vast majority of men pay for their own sins in the fires of hell. Would you explain that to me? Because it says all liars shall be sent to the lake of fire. Why are they still liars? I thought Jesus paid for all their sins. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that I'm clothed in his righteousness and in the sight of God, I've never told a lie. That's a great work of salvation. Back to John chapter 3. The Jews didn't see their Messiah dying. They expected Messiah to liberate them from Rome. They further presumed that the Messiah was only for Israel, not for Gentiles. They further presumed that salvation... And eternal life was by Moses' law only. Do you know how much Jesus Christ just took apart in these two verses? The Son of Man has to go up on a pole. What are you talking about, they said in John chapter 12. Who is the Son of Man? This isn't right. Peter himself, do you know what Peter himself said to Jesus in Matthew chapter 16? Be it far from thee, Lord, to think of dying. Be it far from thee, this shall not happen to thee. What are the words that came out of the Lord's mouth about Peter next? Get thee behind me, Satan. We want to embrace this religion right here that's being introduced to a master of Israel that he had no idea about. This was turning his world upside down, and this is no small pill evangelism. This is major pill evangelism that was turning everything that Nicodemus stood for upside down. Who his own self bear our sins on the tree. Cursed is every man that hangeth 
on a tree. If you read Psalm 22 last night, you read the most graphic picture in the Bible of Jesus suffering from his own view of what it was like to be on the cross. He died a horrible death on a tree with nails holding him in place. He was nailed to the cross on the ground and then dropped into its stand. He was lifted up. Are you with me for a couple of minutes before the Lord's Supper? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's sheep believe in him. Jesus came and was lifted up to secure our everlasting life, and we shall never perish. No man shall pluck us out of his hand, and no man shall pluck us out of the Father's hand. He was lifted up so that his body weight became a terrible, tearing burden. He was lifted up on that cross fully nude to be fully exposed to any nearby. He was lifted up with arms outstretched and could not find relief for his joints. Did you read Psalm 22? He was out of joint. He was lifted up with arms fastened, unable to wipe his bloody, sweaty face that had blood pouring from it because thorns had been driven into his crown and his face had been mashed by Roman soldiers to where Isaiah 52 says, and 53, his visage was more marred than any man. He was lifted up and found it very difficult to breathe by the pulling weight and the inability to extend his diaphragm and suck air in. The only way you could do it is to push down against your feet, which are nailed into the cross and are already bearing a lot of your body weight. He was lifted up so that his battered face beyond recognition was seen. There was no hiding in this form of death. He was lifted up so that all could see the contradiction with the sign overhead. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He was lifted up so his scourged and torn back could rub against the cross. He was lifted up so his naked face from his beard being ripped off, could be viewed. The New Testament doesn't tell us about that beard being ripped off. Isaiah 50 tells us. A beard was a status symbol. A beard was a mark of a man in Israel. Go read about the shame that some enemies of Israel performed in David's day by taking off the beard of some men. He was lifted up without a chance to sleep after a night of grief and torture. He wasn't in some jail cell someplace, on the floor, recovering partially. He was being destroyed on that cross, lifted up. He was lifted up to fully endure crucifixion pain by the design of the Romans who had taken it from the Persians 
by rejecting the sedative that was offered to him while he was on the ground. He did not take it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that we believers would not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that in addition to the physical aspects of suffering at crucifixion, were the non-physical elements that we have listed and detailed before, the spiritual conflict that he had with the devil, and the divine consequences from his father by forsaking him for the guilt and shame of our sins and the punishment of them. O oh, brethren, when we come to the Lord's Supper today, let's remember as we tear the bread, the tearing that was taking place in the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the tearing inside, the tearing on his back from the scourging, the tearing inside of his weight being suspended like that in a state of weakness. Torn when the Roman soldiers pierced his side when they found him dead already. When we take the cup and remember his blood, let's remember his blood was streaming from wounds all over him. His back opened up by a Roman scourge, nails in his hands, plural, nails in his feet, plural, his face having been smashed by Roman soldiers, daring him to tell them who had hit him, crowns, a crown of thorns in his head. Let's remember the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was lifted up. He didn't die a death of stoning. There wasn't a bone of his broken. He was pierced. Every, every prophecy of the Old Testament about the Messiah was fulfilled in detail. And in the days to come, as we get through the Gospel of John, John is going to point out, I saw the things as they happened and realized that they fulfilled the Word of God perfectly. But what we want to remember right now is that he died a Roman death of crucifixion intended by the words, lifted up, was he to die. And amen.